personal views and opinions expressed by our podcast guests are their own and are not legal advice or official statements by their organizations. Hello, my name is Debbie Reynolds. They call me the Data Diva. This is the Data Diva Talk Privacy Podcast, where we discuss data privacy issues with industry leaders around the world with information that businesses need to know now. So I have a very special guest on the show today. Her name is Zoe Ether. She is the CEO of My Smart Community in Australia. Uh, she is also the host of the Smart Community Podcast. Now, I have to give you some stats about Zoe, which is amazing. So Zoe was kind enough to reach out to me a couple of years ago and I was on our podcast, actually twice. So this is interesting. So you and I did a podcast before COVID and then one after. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's kind of interesting sort of compare and contrast what life was like before and after. It's hard to remember what life was like before that. Um, also, you have, your, you have a very successful podcast. Um, I can see you consider you the fairy godmother of podcasting because I got so much, uh, I learned so much from you and what you've done. So right now you say you're up to 141 episodes, been doing it for a number of years and you're up to 125,000 downloads. That's quite an accomplishment. Thank you. Yes. Um, we've been going for, yes, over three and a half years now and yeah it's been consistently just um building which is exciting and I mean I've I couldn't have done it without my team um you know I don't do everything myself I leave the uh professional podcasting production and everything to the professionals so now I I do the recordings with um the people that I find or reach out to me on the podcast and just have a whole bunch of really interesting conversations, which I really, really love. And I guess for me, the podcast is all about smart communities. And so I've got so many different people on the podcast. So it was really exciting to have you on the podcast, not once, but twice. And I'm sure you'll come on again um, if I convince you to come back on again uh, a bit later on when we can continue to, I guess, talk about this conversation, how how far it's come, where, you know, which way we've gone. Because, you know, it's very much matured in the last three years, if not, you know, more than that. But even in the last three years that we've been doing the podcast, I can, um, I can I listen to episode one and episode 100 or 240. We're having very different conversations. Still on the same theme, that it's about people um, enabled by technology and data. But I think we're having more mature conversations because we've been able to build and grow. Yeah, it's amazing. So you've been kind enough to invite me to do things like present on panels and we've done, you know, really cool things with smart cities. Um, I am into, I do a lot of work with companies that are doing emerging uh, technology. So some of that hits on smart cities, but also smart cities are about people, as we talked about. Um, one thing that I would love to chat about and get your perspective, again, this kind of before and after COVID, uh, I feel like smart cities were always important, but I feel like COVID has sort of changed the conversation and maybe put more focus on smart cities just because people are living in different ways. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I totally agree. I think it's um it's it's kind of two ways. 
some things that weren't so important um, but we thought were really important. So maybe like a, the latest widget or the technology that we were going to buy or um, that, you know, maybe a city or whatever was going to invest in. When COVID hit, they went, actually, we can't do that right now. It's not an essential service, rightly or wrongly. It's not an essential service. So we actually have to focus in on, you know, getting people working from home, making sure they're safe, all those type of things. And, and also the digital systems that would support that outcome. So I think it's become less of a focus on shiny widgets, which is great, and more of a focus on, well, what can smart community thinking, so not just the latest technology, but can we think differently about this? Can we, you know, get a different approach? Can we bring other people in with different backgrounds, professional backgrounds and experiences to actually build an outcome that will work for our community and can we do it in an agile way so it's quick um, because we can't wait uh, particularly with COVID we couldn't wait um, until you know the, the virus decided to go away we had to act immediately and get this stuff running now some things worked well some things didn't work well so we learned from some things we continued to shift and change the other thing that I've seen is people are now more comfortable to share their voice uh, and their opinion in the conversation as well and I think that has um, been really great for some things and other things maybe we've you know trailed off off into different uh i guess avenues um but i think in the smart city and smart community space we've seen a big shift into we need this digital transformation or we need this new system or we need this um data driven decision making because it's essential to provide the services that we need for the city and the community yeah yeah I would like like to back up a bit uh, because I found this you're fascinating and I adore you and your team and the th things you guys do and you're like you know social media on steroids I can just only help to be a fraction of that uh, I think I'd be successful but I would love for you to talk about sort your journey um, your background is so fascinating and sort of how you became interested in the smart uh, smart cities and smart communities space. I, you know, I, I actually had the pleasure to attend your 100,000 download um, session. Uh, and even though you and I talked and knew each other, there are things about your background that I didn't know that I thought was really fascinating. So would you share a bit about your trajectory to where you are now? Sure thing. So I'm a traditional engineer, or I used to be a traditional engineer, whatever that means. Um, civil and environmental engineer. I was really good at math and science at school. So I decided, well, I'll be an engineer because um, one of the, uh, a guy that was above me at school, he did engineering. I didn't know what it was, but he was a smart guy, so I decided to do engineering as well. I grew up in Roma, so a really small town in um, Queensland. Uh, went to Brisbane, went to uni, and uh, realised that it was about people and helping people. Well, that's how I saw it, that I could um, help people, I could travel, I could do all these things with engineering. Now, when I left, I, uh, when I left uni, I had a job with Transport and Main Roads, so state government. And I worked in hydraulics, um, but I really wanted to work out on site. So I ended up in construction, um, but I really wanted to work overseas. And I didn't think that would be possible with, with the Queensland government um, because, you know, it's a very uh, kind of rare opportunity if it's, it's a Queensland-based um, you know, government agency. 
But kind of as soon as that thought entered my head, uh, the director general, so the biggest boss within Transporter Main Roads, uh, sent out an email. He'd been to South Korea and he was really excited about the technology over there. He went for like a road congress back in the day when we could travel. And he wanted to send one of his engineers over there. So I was lucky enough to apply for that and, and, and get that. So I lived in South Korea for three months. And that's when I learned about smart cities and the technology that people were working on right now and the things that were happening right now in, in Korea. Um, and also looking at other things like um, construction methodologies, uh, different ways of thinking, different ways of working, and just being in a completely different place where the culture is so different. So after that, I got really excited about smart cities. Some people would say obsessed. Some of my friends would say that. Uh, and I would talk to anyone, anyone about it. I'm like, oh, what are we doing here in Australia? Um, you know, what's the potential? And and I would, yeah, take time off work, go to conferences, do all these things. Um, and then I realised that I wanted to do more in this space and I wanted to talk to more people. So my good friend Ellen, who you've met um, and the producer of the Smart Community Podcast, she had her own podcast and was doing podcast production. And I said, oh, what, what do you reckon? Should I start a podcast? And she went, of course, she's biased. Of course, she'd said yes. Uh, and so I was like, okay, I'm going to start this podcast because one, I want to talk to people that I couldn't just, you know, immediately um, see the one in my my local area uh, so I could talk to people all around the world but also give me opportunity to really uh, I guess build my knowledge at the same time as giving other people a voice um, and a platform to be able to do that so I decided that I was going to start this podcast now I was still working for the government at the time uh, and unfortunately I wasn't able to have a podcast and be a public servant at the same time so I left my good secure government job to start the podcast that didn't pay me any money but I thought it was a good idea uh, at the time and I mean it has been uh, and so I started a consultancy at the same time so I um, could earn, earn a living and build the podcast and so that was uh, yeah over three and a half years ago now and yeah going strong ever since um, yeah, and around the same time as well, it was about April 2018, which was a busy month, I realised. I also applied for my Winston Churchill Fellowship um, and I found out later that year that I got that as well. So I was then able to travel around the world and do more things in the space and uh, when we were able to travel, so 2019, um, and really build that uh, knowledge from... Um, yeah, I guess from all around the world looking at uh, transportation in, in particular because that was my background, but how does that actually fit into our communities? So, yeah, it was uh, it's quite a wild ride. And now, um, and obviously with COVID last year, it was, um, it was a bit uh, interesting, but like we, like we were talking about earlier, people then really saw that, oh, this stuff is really important, this digital transformation stuff, you know, using tech for good um, and, and using data to make decisions and all that type of stuff. Uh, and so it's actually been, um, yeah, I've been getting lots of uh, different inquiries about uh, what, what people can do in this space and from a wide, you know, range of people from local government to, you know, community groups um, and bodies uh, to, you know, working with state government as well. Yeah, that's great. I love that. I love that story. Uh, what what are you seeing? So 
So when I think about smart communities or smart cities, uh, obviously I think about technology, but a city can be smart without technology, but it is about people and how they interact, how they live, right, in the city. Uh, What are some concerns that you have as it relates to kind of smart city projects that sort of touch on kind of the privacy of people? Yeah, absolutely. It's such a huge um, topic and a huge issue. And I've really loved having you and other people like Nicole Stevenson on the podcast um, because I get to learn so much um, from from the experts. But for me, it's it is really about the the importance of not just collecting everything because we can um, and no one said anything, so let's just do it. Um, and I, I, the need to know basis for me is really key because in smart communities and smart cities, there are so many different applications that we could have. So you, you can, you know, we, if we had an our podcast, we couldn't list all of the things that you could possibly do in this space. So it's really important to focus in if we're talking about, say, local government, local, you know, city government or a regional government, focusing on those pain points that they're trying to solve first. Because if we start with a list of technologies, then we'll end up with things that we don't need. We'll be collecting data that we don't need and potentially there'll be privacy issues because we may not have the right um, you know, expertise involved to, to be able to say, yes, we need that and no, we don't need that. So focusing in on, on those pain points and then working out what those solutions can be and giving people, getting enough people around the table that will ask questions that are a bit uncomfortable so then we can have, so we can actually have those discussions about what it is we do and don't need. I think that's really important and something that doesn't get done enough because we just assume, oh, well, if we can, you know, the, the, the saying, you know, it, just because we can, should we? And I think ethical decision-making, which obviously involves privacy, um, is something that we are talking more and more about, uh, which, is, which, is, which is really great. However, there are you know, lots of things that are happening that uh, maybe are now trying to go back because we've realised that we've given too much away or that people have taken too much. Um, so it will be a really interesting time moving forward as to where that goes. But particularly around smart cities, for me, like some of the applications don't involve personal data. A lot of them don't involve personal data. Um, I read a really good article a long a while ago. I can't remember um, where I read it or what it was, but if I find it, I'll send you a link so you can put it in the show notes. But it was really around not what does the city know about me? It's what do I know about the city? So all the applications are actually sharing information about the city to make it easier for me as an individual or a community member in the city to make decisions about what I want to do, improve my quality of life, access the services I need, um, you know, uh, be able to uh, I don't know, find the, um, the products and services and things that I, that I want, um, open up opportunities for education, for employment, all those type of things. So rather than thinking, well, how much can the city find out about me as an individual and then serve me that way? It's actually the other way around where you offer all of these um, city services and, and, you know, information about the city so then me as an individual can make better decisions for myself, but also that the, the city can make better decisions around the whole community. So I like that distinction because a lot of the time we think, oh, well, how much 
can we find out about an individual um, so then we can, you know, make things more efficient, more effective, maybe for that individual, but maybe for the government as well, um, you know, to make things uh, better, uh, reduce resources, time, quality, increase quality, hopefully, um, but reduce costs. But actually, if we think about it the other way, then we can start to have different conversations, uh, which are, well, what information can I share as the city with the individual and the people in my community? Yeah. Um, I, I think there, there's a gap, and I'm going to talk a bit about technology, and this is something that I'm seeing, where a company, let's say a company does something like a red light camera or something, uh, and they sell it to a municipality or a city or something like that. And what they do is they tell you about all the benefits, right, of this, but they don't talk about the harm. And then when people implement the system, you know, it's sort of no one's responsibility <laughs> in mm. some way, in some places to, to assess what the harm is. And then what happens is that it gets implemented and the person, you know, they write the check and the people who, who sold you the thing, they're, they're off, you know, the sunset. And then the, the municipality is kind of left with this thing to try to sort out and maybe they aren't the right people to figure out what's kind of the most ethical way to use it. And I'm talking about ethics because not all places have laws that address this. And so let's say a company selling the product, they want to sell it to as many people as possible. They give you all these features. Some of them may, may or may not be either legal or ethical in your place. And then it's sort of left on kind of the municipality to sort of sort that out. And a lot of times it doesn't get sorted out until there's a harm that occurs that's, um, that's so egregious that it catches the attention of someone. So I feel like there's kind of an ethical gap here in, in, in this process. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I totally agree. And I've been doing a, a master's of data science um, Oh, finished at the end of this year, which is great. Um, the reason I mentioned that is because I realized how much bias there is in data um, and data analysis and things. So all this data that we're collecting from these you know, technologies and systems and processes, if we don't have that lens that this is not just numbers, this is data about people, then we can't have those proper conversations. And that's why things have gone to the way that they've gone in a lot of cases where we are questioning the, was this ethical ever? Um, were the questions asked ever? Um, and now we're asking them. And and I think I think it was um, on Nicole's podcast, um, someone was talking about putting the tube, the toothpaste back in the tube. Uh, you know, it's much more difficult. So yeah, I do think there's a big gap. And I think to uh, try and address that gap. And obviously it's a, it's a complex thing. It's like trying to solve, um, you know, we won't solve it overnight. Um, we won't, um, it won't be a one size fits all solution, but it's about having the right people at the table. The right people at the table are people that have those data skills that understand bias. So there's, there's a number of different people, people like yourself um, in, in, in privacy and realizing how important these things are. These aren't just an add-on tick and flick. Oh, great, we've got somebody in to be able to do this. Oh, now we're, we're, we're sweet. It's an evolving process as well, because 
what may have been ethical maybe even 10 years ago is not now because we've realised the harm that it's caused. Um, and a lot of the time to, to, to minority groups that um, are already doing it tough and, you know, we're, we're causing more and more pain and, um, and harm. So I think having those conversations early, designing that in from the start, but again, we won't, it won't be right the, the whole time. Um, but then how do we get those right people involved to be able to have those conversations? And I think the community is a really important one as well. The community aren't going to understand absolutely everything about the technical detail of, you know, this versus, you know, this camera versus that camera or, or that type of thing, which is why we need to speak in their language so then they can understand. Um, and, and not to say that they, they, it's not that they are less than or, or don't understand our talk or whatever. It's just that we need to speak in a way that people will be able to really um, take in the information and make a decision about it and not just be confused because, you know, you and I can talk about terminology and things. It's not that we're super smart or whatever, but we're in the space so we can, we can have those conversations. Whereas the smartest people will actually shift their language to the audience that they're talking to so then they can absorb it and take it in. So, yeah, I do think there's a big gap and I think that there will continue to be one until we start to um, push in and close. And I think the way you do that is by having more people at the decision-making table that aren't uh, our typical, you know, typical CEOs or general managers or whatever, people with different skill sets, but also the different experiences. Talk a lot about um, if we are making a decision about something, who are the people with the most at stake if we don't get this right and how do they have their voice um, at the table? And I think people get a, a bit worried about having, um, you know, community or people that don't understand potentially or or aren't informed in inverted commas um, but we want those questions to be asked we want if it doesn't make sense we want to know that early on not later down the track where it's too too late again in inverted commas too late to do um, anything meaningful about it so I think that's a really key point but there's not a you know a silver bullet to fix um, that that gap that exists but it's a real one yeah yeah and one other thing that concerns me is sort of a uh, kind of a data skewing thing, meaning yep. let's say, for example, you have a city like Chicago where they have red light cameras in certain areas and not others. So you're collecting data in some areas and not others. And then you take the data and you try to extrapolate and make some broader point, but basically it makes it seem like the absence of the other data that never got collected is uh, ignored, I guess, in some way. Yeah, yeah. So basically we're saying like, oh, well, in this suburb or this, um, you know, suburb, is that what you call them in, in America? Yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay. So in this suburb, oh, people are always, you know, going through red lights and isn't this terrible or whatever. The people here always, you know, they, they fly out the rules, whatever. But actually, and that might be, you know, say in a in an area where um, there's there's other issues or whatever. Whereas this affluent community, oh, they don't have any red light cameras, so of course you don't have data on that, which is exactly what you're talking about there. Such a huge issue, and like that's a, an example where we can point to it, right? We can point that okay, well, this obviously isn't going to be a representative sample. However, people still analyze that data and they still make assumptions about it and then they report it. Even if they say, oh, this, it is noted that this is only from this area and blah, blah, blah. And I see that a lot, see that a lot in, you know, 
in books and and all sorts of things where they go oh this this <laughs> this is only a sample of you know 20 people um, but I'm going to tell you the results anyway and I think that's a huge issue um, and something that uh, particularly with this um, the data science side of things that again we don't have a, a, a solution that will suit everything but we need to have more conversations about it and again I think the way you do that is having more people with different backgrounds and professional backgrounds you know I'm coming from an engineering background where you know rigor is really important where we look at standards we look at quality all those types of things um, you know we don't want the bridge to fall down and I I you know, take that same analogy to data. I don't want this uh, analysis to fall down if somebody, you know, picks and prods at it. Um, and they should be able to, they should be able to question and I should be able to answer those things. And I should be able to say, I made this decision because. Now that doesn't say that my biases aren't already inherently in there because they're my biases. They're going to be, um, no matter what I do about it, I can, I can correct with some of those, but sometimes that might lead to overcorrection or whatever the case may be. So I think it's a huge issue. And I think by getting more and more people in there to kind of go, oh, um, and questioning that, to ask why that's happened, increase that transparency of how we came to, um, you know, come up with this answer, then I think we can start to have those better conversations. But it's such a big issue and, and huge now, particularly that anybody can go online, find a, a piece of software that will and feed in some data and it will tell them something that they can put into a nice report and they can publish um, you know, on, on their Facebook page or on, on LinkedIn or whatever the case may be. Not to say that we can't do those things, but it is a really interesting one. It's something I talked to Rohan Light about um, as well, that diminishing of expertise um, because anybody can can publish things so there's good and bad in that you know I always talk about people more people getting involved in the conversation so people might be like well hang on Zoe you're telling everyone to get in the conversation but now you're saying you know we don't want everything published but I think there's a there's a difference between getting involved in a conversation um, and starting to ask questions and and working out what your um what what part of the conversation you want to contribute to and really then thinking about the the expertise that goes into the scientific part of the analysis of data and all those type of things but even with that analysis realizing that there are biases there are biases that go into that so there's so <laughs> just confused everybody probably there's lots of lots of complexity in there but we need more people to question it exactly like we're just doing right now so then we can start to have more conversations because hopefully if someone listening to this can then go oh that's right this happened in another you know case that I looked at what can I do to correct that and for example that case will be well we need to collect a a representative um, example no a, let me start that again a a random sample and that represents the whole of that um, city or, or region or whatever the case may be. Excellent. Excellent. So what's going on right now in the smart city space that concerns you the most? It's a big question. I think there's a real, um, there's still a lot of overwhelm of technology um, and a lot of confusion around what is what works and what doesn't work, um, and, and and that's okay. We can we can continue to move through that. But what concerns me now is that 
we aren't yet talking about the return on investment. Um, and I think that return on investment won't necessarily be dollars in the bank, um, but it may be, you know, it may be economic growth. It may be improved quality of life. It may be less, um, you know, health issues, depending on what the use case is. So I'd like to see more, more of this return on investment. And then if there is um, a, you know, I guess a gap, then how do we address that? And it's not necessarily that we keep doing the same thing, but maybe we shift and change things a little bit as well. So for example, um, to be able to do that, you need to first have a baseline. So what were we measuring before? And what then can we measure to say whether we that improved or, or went down or stayed the same? So working with um, a council in Queensland around their asset management process, um, using uh, AI, so using machine learning to pick up potholes, for example. So one of my favourite examples because, one, I love pavements. Um, uh, I'm an engineer. And two, it's a really practical example that everyone knows what a pothole is. Everyone doesn't like potholes. We don't want them on our roads. Um, but what can we do to improve that? It's also a problem that every council in the world has. So we looked at um, partnering together with a, a local startup that had the, the technology to be able to do that. Um, we, we, put, we helped um, the council put the system in place. The council did a lot, a lot um, of, uh, I guess, analysis on um, what, what they are measuring now. So how much it costs them now, how many potholes were in the system now, et cetera, et cetera. And then what we could, um, what was the potential uh, that we could improve that by. They've got, now got, I think it's over 18 months of data, maybe a bit more than that now, and they, they have seen this improvement. Um, so they've been able to say, well, now we have more potholes in the system. Not say that there was miraculously more, they just weren't in the system, for example, but also that the data is now up to date because they have installed these cameras, which pick up the potholes automatically on garbage trucks, so every week they go around, um, as they do. Uh, most streets, of course, um, they won't necessarily capture anything, but we started with um, the streets. And they now have data that's only a week old, whereas before they would do a yearly asset scan. And, you know, that would um, be once, you know, a, a moment in time. But it would actually take six to nine months for that data to get into the system. So the data's out of date before you even can look at it and decide what to do with it. So it's really important that we start thinking about, well, what are we doing now so we can say, well, this is the, this is the business as usual, this is what's happening now, so then we can measure that impact. So with that council, they're also they're, they're not just assets, but they've created this data set, right, that can be used for so many other things. Um, and not just, sorry, not just maintenance, but now it can be looked at to use for their capital works programs because roads, they cost a lot of money. And if you can even say 5% across, you know, particularly in, in Australia and America as well, the length of roads, um, it, it can be enormous. So now they're looking at, well, how can, can we use this automated um, data that we've collected? It's, it's there. We've got this amazing data set that's up to date. Um, that's, that's huge, really big. This is big data, right? Um, also has no personal identifiable characteristics as well. So it's just the road, the road, um, well, I haven't asked the road, but I assume the road doesn't mind um, that we know how many potholes it has. Um, but then you can actually start to pinpoint and target certain areas. So rather than just um, looking at, oh, well, this road is 20 years old, so we're going to, um, we'll, we will redo it. Um, 
whereas this road's only five years old, but maybe this road has more traffic on it um, and more trucks on it and it's getting potholes all the time. So it would actually be a better investment to, um, you know, go for this five-year-old road rather than the 20-year-old road, but we may not have that data. Whereas now we have that data to be able to make those decisions. So we can save time, money and resources, but also we're increasing the safety of the road network as well and improving the service that the council can provide through technology. And it's not super fancy. It's not, you know, um, it's, it's, it's available now and it continues to be improved as, as the machine learns. Um, and, and it's a really, uh, I guess, good use case of where we've been able to work with the council. Um, and, you know, I was only involved in the very beginning. It's now, you know, this project that it, different people have come in and, and been involved because it's got so many different um, players in the space, but you really needed that council to go, okay, this is a, this is a pain point. This is an issue that we're having and be willing to try something a bit different because, you know, there wasn't many, um, uh, there wasn't really a, a good case study to be able to go, oh, this is exactly what it's going to do. So it's, it is innovation. It is different. Um, it may fail. It may not work as well. Um, but then actually being able to measure that so then we can go, well, actually, yeah, it is working. And, oh, can we do this with it now? Oh, maybe we can do this. So it takes a lot of um, courage for a council to be able to do that because, you know, we know um, the, the scrutiny that they're under. Um, but also when we can actually show that return on investment, then you've got a better case. Um, so, you know, you want the data behind the data as well. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's a great example. Um, and so are you seeing, so let's say uh, in situations where you need data from individuals, are you seeing municipalities having problems getting data from in individuals to get insights? Because I, I don't know, in some way, I feel like maybe a trust issue. Yeah, I think there's a there's definitely a building of trust that needs to happen, um, particularly if they're going to do something different. I mean, at the moment we have like this base level of um, excuse me what we can what we do provide uh, to our councils at this stage, um, and we expect that they'll protect that that they're not going to be sharing that with anybody else. Um, like you said, there's there are laws um, that um, prevent that, uh, but also if we don't trust the council to be able to do that, even if there are laws in, in place or the government, then yeah, we do have um, some serious issues. So I think a lot of it comes down to building trust is not this like tick and flick approach, um, but it's actually showing that, um, okay, well, we've, we've done this. We said we're like doing what you say you're going to do and not doing something else that people might not, um, that might not know what's happening with the data or whatever, um, or, you know, you said you were going to do this, but now you're doing this, what's happening? So that erosion of trust is really a, a key one. I guess for me, in, particularly in the smart community space and smart city space, where if council, councils are emerge, uh, going on this journey, it's not their own journey. It's a journey with the community. So we might be able to build a you know, strategy or a framework or an action plan or, or whatever the case may be, but then we need to bring in the community um, because if you're just doing this by yourself, that then, you know, it's like a, a black box of, oh, well, what are they going to do with all this technology, all this data, all this whatever. But actually the council, they're, they're just trying, they, they 
uh, and I wholeheartedly heartedly believe that particularly local governments, they're trying to improve services for their community. They're trying to improve efficiencies so then they can um, save time, money and resources on things that people might not care about but are really important, like um, waste and, and roads and, and um, you know, improving uh, services and that type of thing. If they can save money on those things, then they can use that money to spend money on things that people really do care about, like events and, um, you know, improved uh, uh, services that are beyond people's expectations of what they could get from a council, that they feel like a, a, val a you know, a valued customer in this, the exchange, not just a, um, you know, a, a, a member talking to th their local government, which may be, um, a, it may be a uh, less than desirable experience from the past in, in, in history, but actually if they move into this, oh, well, I feel like a valued customer within my region and within my community. Um, so I think those things are really important, um, particularly when we talk about like community groups, being able to access things that they need and that type of thing. I think that if we can build that trust together and the way you do that is through transparency and having conversations and you won't get everything right all the time, but making sure you can admit that. But I can say that, but it's not super easy, right? <laughs> Otherwise everyone would be doing it. And there's so much scrutiny that the councils are under. So I think it is a, it is a to and fro process with the community and the councils and realizing that we are trying to achieve the same goal, the same outcome, which is that we have, better communities or better quality of life for our communities moving forward, um, no matter what that community looks like, because uh, we'll, they'll all look different. I think transparency is a thread that runs through kind of this, your work and my work as well. So I mm -hmm. think it's hard because so much of things that governments or um, companies have done up to this point, especially as it relates to data, especially companies who felt like they didn't have any legal obligation to share information, um, you know, in order to do the job that needs to be done, you know, they may need data and they need that trust of individuals. So I think that transparency is kind of a key to the future. Uh, and then that trust is really vital. Yeah. And I think um, on that, like on that same note, it's, in the future, uh, particularly tech companies, um, and I guess even councils and, and you know governments, that will be the selling point, right? Privacy will become the commodity or the the value um, that we want, and that's what we're looking for. I mean, it's even starting to look at you know people are starting to talk about it now. It wasn't a conversation what maybe five years ago, but now when I'm buying a product, I want to know. Um, I want to know what they're going to do with my data and the ones that tell me I'm more likely to buy from and the ones that don't or that are silent on the issue, I may think twice about. So I think um, that transparency and privacy will become that 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 key uh, that consumers want. So we'll see more and more of it. Hopefully it's not just a, like, a, shouldn't just be a, you know, token thing or a, oh, well, we'll do this because it's on trend. Um, but will do it because it's really important. And I think things that, you know, have seemed on trend back in the day are now really important things like, you know, um, equality and, uh, you know, bringing 
you know, back in the day, it was like, oh, everyone's talking about this. Why are we talking about it now? But they're the, you know, we're standing on, um, you know, the, the, the foundations that people built back in the day where it was different to do these things. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't business as usual. So we're standing on those foundations to be able to have these voices and share this. And so we'll just continue that, that foundation will just continue to build. So hopefully we can have those, you know, more equal, um, stronger, uh, you know, human connection uh, and the, well, stronger communities with human connection. Um, that, that's really important. And, you know, technology and data aren't the answers for all those things. But if we can use those in a way, because they're here, whether we like it or not, we can't get rid of them, right? They're, they're, they're here. And if we did get rid of them, you know, if all of a sudden all the technology in the world, you know, imploded, then humans wouldn't really be here either because we rely on it so heavily for for medical, for communication, for, you know, everything. Um, so I think that we need to really get, get, um, get, get serious or, or get more people involved in this so then we can build those things that we want rather than just going, oh, well, technology, oh, okay, that's, you know, all that fancy stuff that um, it doesn't involve me. Well, it does. It involves all of us. And so I think that's really key and that we don't, that smart cities is not led by big tech companies and, you know, the latest widgets. It's actually about, well, what are the real problems that we can solve for real people within our communities? Correct. I agree. I agree. Uh, if it were the world, according to Zoe, and we did everything that you said, what would be your wish for privacy anywhere in the world, whether it's human, technology, law, or your thoughts? Oh, that's a really good question. For me, I want people to feel informed. So I want, because at the moment, even when I talk to, you know, even just different people or to people um, in the community and even in the technology space, we don't feel informed enough to make decisions. Um, and that's a real problem. So in this smart community space, I want people to feel like they've got enough information about their digital footprint, their data footprint. They know where their data is. They know that they've given access to it. Um, and, you know, they, they can actually map out the web of all the pieces of data and then they can retract things. The needs to know basis is really important um, because if they don't need it and it's not benefiting me or the, the member of the community as an individual and, and potentially may be even causing harm, then we need to be able to pull that back in. Now, it doesn't mean that I need to then know everything about data and privacy and whatever else, because that it, it, not every member of the community will, but we need to know enough so then we can make those informed decisions. So then I can go, oh yeah, I know that I've given my information, my location information to, um, to Uber or whatever, so they can pick me up, but actually they don't, it's not on all the time. I know that because I can actually see that. Um, or I've given it to this, this company for a certain period of time and then um, now I've removed that because they don't need that and I, I don't need that service anymore and I know that I'm exchanging these things um, because I think we're underestimating the value of our data and right. I think that will become uh, something that we, that will, yeah, it will be this other currency in the future. And what that looks like will be really uh, interesting because it's not necessarily going, there'll, there'll be some 
bad things and there'll be some good things and there'll be some things that we're not quite sure about yet. So I, I think that will be a really interesting time to move forward. But being able to know where our data is, uh, it is a really key one for me and how how we can um, be feel like we're in control of that. Yeah, that's a great answer. I love that. I love that. I would expect no less from Zoe. <laughs> Definitely. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm so glad you are finally able to get you on my show. Uh, we've done so many other things together, but I think that the audience would be really delighted to hear your point of view about smart cities and smart communities. Thank you for having me, Debbie. I really enjoyed it. And yeah, I look forward to our next conversation wherever it is and whatever it may be about. Absolutely, absolutely. So I'll talk to you soon. Talk soon. Bye. Bye.